Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I came loaded for bear today, guys. I got a lot of content to throw at you this weekend. Um, Well, I mean, you know, the show is still an hour long. Probably sitting there going, well, that's an hour too long, pal. (laughs) Uh, But we we did an interview, and, and it's one of the longer ones I've done. So if you don't like long podcasts... You probably, it's probably is not your cup of tea. Having said that, I think it's one of the most important. Um, and, and not, you know, we talk macro, we get into it, but I, I interviewed a guy by the name of Remy Tito, who was a co-founder of Real Vision. Now, for those of you that don't know what Real Vision is, it, um, it, it was one of a kind when it first came out. I'm no longer a subscriber because they've kind of turned a different channel, but it basically, if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me interview Grant Williams multiple times. You've heard me interview Raul Powell multiple times. Both guys are professionals in finance, but along with Remy, the three of them started Real Vision. And it was a game changer in the world of finance because they were getting, you know, long form sit down. Think of it as like a video version. It's like the Rogan podcast, but with the best investors in the world. And having deep dive conversations with them about their process, what they look at. And I'm talking, I mean, the list of guys they've had on there, you know, Kyle Bass, Stan Druckenmiller, Mark Hart. I mean, just um, a murderer's row, Mike Novogratz. I mean, they've just had on so many big names and I know I'm leaving a bunch out, um, but it was just fascinating. I remember the first time that I I stumbled across their site, I think I spent uh the wife and kids were gone for a weekend and I, and I spent, I started turning on their videos and it got to be like 10 o'clock at night. And I'd realized that I've been sitting there watching these finance economic videos for like 12 hours. And, um, it was like crack. I mean, I just could not get enough of it. And they've since pivoted Grant and Remy have both left real vision. Um, I think because, because of the pivot, you know, it's, it's no longer what they want to be a part of and what they're interested in. And it's a bummer because it's not what it used to be. But anyway, he was one of the co-founders of that. And um, through that, kind of got caught up in, in Real Vision's foray into crypto, where, they, where they're aiming the majority of their time now. And that's kind of why I just bowed out. I'm not a crypto guy. Um, but Remy had a heartbreaking and all too familiar story about his voyages through cryptocurrency. And... The reason I wanted to do the interview is because so few people that have been where he is are open and transparent enough to come out and share their losses, right? Everybody always wants to talk to you about the wins, but like we've said, you know, and I know this in my own life and like we've said on the show many times, um, the wins don't teach you anything. They just confirm how brilliant you are (laughs) or how brilliant you think you are. Um, The losses hurt, but it's where you learn. You know, and the problem with that is so few people are transparent enough and open enough to say, hey, I booted it, right? I kicked it. And I've always believed being in this industry, especially when you're, when you're speaking publicly about it, I've always believed that that's incumbent, right? You need to share the failures with the same volume, if not greater volume, than you do the wins, Right. I, because that's real. And that's at the end of the day, like we said about risk management, it's a key part to investing. Right. Because. And and people don't really get that. I got to find a hot stock. And we've said it a hundred times. The easiest way to improve your performance over time is to make less mistakes. And when I say less mistakes, I mean, losing less. Right? You're still going to have the best investors in the world have a 65% hit rate. Warren Buffett's like 65%. 35% of stocks he picks, 
are not successful, whether he sells them at no gain or sells them for a small loss or whatever. But what has made him so good is when he identifies a loser, it's gone. Now he's a buy and hold guy, so he's not in and out of markets all the time. But it's the same idea, right? He's not just watching the price like like traders are, like a guy like Stan Druckenmiller will be. But the principles are the same. Warren's looking at it and saying, when management quits doing what they tell me they're going to do, right? When they quit running the business for the reasons that I bought it, right? There's discipline there. And it's managing risk. And that's what this game comes down to. I don't care what anybody says. There is no quick way to get rich. There's nobody's got the secrets. And and just the fact that Remy was open enough to come and talk about the money he made in crypto and how he lost it all. Um, I just think it's a really valuable story. He's also got a, he's also a, a, a very intelligent and very skilled macro economic analyst. And so we spent some time talking macro. He, he wrote some really interesting, um, pieces on NVIDIA. They got widely circulated, went viral. And as a matter of fact, some of his research on NVIDIA was used by analysts to uh, poke or, or, or to ask questions of the NVIDIA CEO, CFO um, on an earnings call this last quarter, which is pretty wild um, because he's not a really well-known guy. Raul and Grant are much more public. Remy, as a matter of fact, just um, kind of came out when he published that article on NVIDIA. It was, um, uh, it was anonymously. And so he's just recently revealed who he was. So it, it's, it's just a fascinating guy. Brilliant guy, but like I said, most importantly is that warning because I think that um, – I don't think. I know. Okay, We're in a place right now where I feel like in a lot of ways the whole market is emulating crypto. And what I mean by that is just you know, all sense of – and look, there's always going to be a narrative. Well, you're thinking, forgetting about AI. Look, guys, there's always a reason. People aren't just idiots, right? There's always a reason things get ridiculously overpriced. Always. That's not people decide, hey, I think buying a company for 20 times revenue sounds like a great idea. That's not what happens, right? People get tired of sitting out and missing the party, and then they throw all caution to the wind and they jump in. That's what happened in crypto. And I think that what you're seeing, in my opinion, now, look, I could be proven wrong, but I think that what you're seeing in the market, and, I, and I'm in, a, in our second segment after we finish the market update, I'm going to go through and explain to you what I mean mathematically. Okay, and I want to walk you through it, and I want to walk you through and we've had this segment before, but I don't think there's any other, I don't think there's any more appropriate title for it, which is just why value matters. And, and I want to break down why these things scare us and why the companies, I think that especially retail and even institutional investors are flocking to, right? Um, people always ask me, well, these professionals, why would they make that mistake? They make it because of what we call professional risk meaning the fear of underperforming, right? If you underperform in this business, you get assets pulled from you. The tough part about this business that you learn, if, if you're somebody open to learning, is that if you want to do right by your clients, there are times where you have to underperform. There's times where you have to be the sober one and leave the party. And I really very much believe that one of these is, now when I say leave the party, I don't mean sell everything, right? I'm not, I'm not, I, I think people need to sell a, a lot of things. I think there are a lot of things they can't, that they can hold on to. What things are those? Thing, things that make sense, that are investments, right? Where you're sitting there looking at, you know, financials. You're like, hey, this price makes sense. This is a good investment. And, and I want to, how, how do we determine that? People are like PE ratio. No, PE ratios can be very deceiving, right? And they can be very easily manipulated. What we want to do is we want to look at revenues and earnings, and then we want to contrast them with the price we're paying for the stock. So we'll go through all that. But anyway, so so we'll have that up in next segment. Um, and then, like I said, I'm going to do the, the going to launch that interview as well. It's a long one. It's about an hour and forty five minutes. But it, it, again, and maybe maybe you just want to listen to the first half, right? Because I don't expect everybody to sit around and listen to our macro discussion. Or I mean, I I think it's all great. I I was fascinated by it. I looked down at the time and saw it had been an hour and 35 minutes. And I was like, whoa, I can't, I got away from me. But um, I think the part that everybody should listen to is at least the first 45 to 50 minutes when we go over his story, how he got into the business, and then how he got involved in crypto and how that played out. Because I, I really believe we're going to hear a lot more of these stories in the future. And risk management, 
you know, just learn from other people's pain, right? There's two ways to learn lessons in life. One is to learn from others' mistakes and B, to make the mistakes yourself. And I remember my dad drilling that into my head as a kid. And of course, I've had to go out and make some mistakes. But professionally, I, I would like to think that I've learned from those. And I try to, and it's one of the reasons I like to have people on to talk about their mistakes. I don't know if you guys have caught that as a theme in, in uh, a lot of the interviews we've done. Um, not to rub their face in it at all, but that's where the learning is, right? That, that's, that's where we learn lessons. That's where we learn not to press the bet too much. That's where we learn not to be overconfident. And those are the things that kill you. Uh, it, just, like the, just like life, right? It, I, it's no different. Um, the differences in investing, I think there's a more immediate scorecard, which means when you press the bet and you get too aggressive and you get too arrogant and you don't stay disciplined, um, usually you find proof of your mistake much quicker than you do in life, but you know, same basic idea. So anyway, without further ado, I, I rambled a little bit there. Let's get on to the market update. So, uh, we were talking two weeks ago, for those of you listening to the daily dots, this will be a little bit of repeat here in the market update, but. Uh, we were talking about two weeks ago to be careful. We thought, you know, this market move up was, um, <laughs> I mean, what did we, would you shoot up 10, 10%, 11% in like 10 days or something like that, two weeks. Um, and at the beginning of that, like I said, two weeks ago, we were cautioning people that, hey, you know, if, if valuations out there and markets right now and all this talk of soft landing, if it's baking your brain, wait. Cause it's going to get crazier and it's going to get crazier because we're about ready to enter the bad news is good news phase. And, uh, sure enough, that's exactly what has happened. Okay. So what do we mean by bad news is good news? Well, if you're listening to the media and you're listening to financial media, the most talked about meme out there, the most widely spread narrative that you've all probably heard is soft landing. Okay. Everybody's repeating it. Soft landing from our perspective, the whole discussion of soft landing is purely a function of the market going up this year, right? It's not going up because of earnings. It's not going up because of revenue increases. It's not going up because of good reasons. It's just been multiple expansion by the top seven stocks. If you look, if you take, we're still in that territory. If you still, if you take the top seven stocks out of the market, you're still looking at a market that's flat on the year. People are like markets having a great year. No, it's not. It's not getting killed. It's all driven by seven stocks that people believe are recession proof. Okay. Now, do I think those companies are going to collapse? No, I think that the, the, the one thing I think that you can say is at least those seven stocks are incredible companies. Save Tesla. I, I don't, I'm not going to beat up on Tesla anymore. I just think Tesla is still in that group because it's Tesla, not because of what it's doing. Uh, the valuation on it is still ridiculous. Um, but you know, you look at those other companies, they're amazing, right? But every investment is defined by what you pay. And Buffett talks about this all the time. You you buy the greatest asset in the world. If you overpay for it, it's going to be a horrible investment. Conversely, you can buy a garbage asset that nobody likes, and it could be the best investment you ever made if you bought it for the right price. So I just think that's the mistake. I people going, it's a great company. You're right. It is a great company, but you're overpaying. And, and I'm, I want to make that case and, and show that. Uh, but, but we're in the good news is bad news phase. The whole market is convinced soft landing. The only problem we've got is inflation and higher interest rates. As soon as inflation's gone, fed's going to cut rates back, back to business, baby. Okay. So, um, if yeah, if you're scratching your head going, what in the world is going, that's it, right? And it doesn't matter what we think. doesn't matter what reality is. That is the, that is the hopium that the market is on right now. And there's no point in fighting it. When does it end? I really don't know. I, I, like I said, valuations to me are so obscene, especially at the top and are so stretched and are such in such contrast to the underlying economy. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's decent chances that this, and, and I can actually see it, you know, watching this market advance. I, I would not be shocked if you set new all-time highs by the end of this year. I am certainly not telling you to go out and play that or bet that we're not, but we'll participate to the upside, but we're managing risk constantly. We've got hedges in place and ready to put them on at any minute. We've got our stop losses in place, things of that nature. But um, I, yeah, if you put a gun to my head, I think that this thing runs to the end of the year. 
like I said, the problem is, is when you, you know, you're one headline away from this market sobering up. And especially at the top end of it, especially at some of these valuations and a lot of these smaller tech companies that have come roaring back. And a lot of them are good. I think a lot of them aren't going to be here in five years. But what you have to understand is there's no, there's no there there. It's just all hype. Not at the top. Like I said, there's delineation. But even the stocks at the top, and we're going to get into that in the next segment. I'm just going to lay out the math like I was telling you guys, and you can be the judge. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I've got here in my notes, you know, this, hey, this thing can run to the end of the year. So we did get out some very interesting unemployment data. And, again, goes right. You know, you look at this year, another positive week. What did we get in the unemployment data? Higher unemployment claims than anybody thought, right? That is being, being interpreted as good news. Seems kind of perverse, right? But the market believes that the only issue out there is inflation. I, I don't even really know if the market believes that so much that that's the line of the day. You know, Wall Street, think back to 08 or not. Wall Street's never going to come out and say, hey, now's a bad time to invest. <laughs> They're always going to want your money, right? Um. But yeah, unemployment claims higher, not drastically higher. I think I think if you added in, what was it? It was something like, um, if you added in the seasonal adjustments or whatever, I, I think the print came in, oh, was it 25, 30,000 lost jobs higher, which is higher, right? But it's not crazy yet. I think you're still around 230, 235,000 new unemployment claims, which isn't, again, it's not. We're not there yet. It's not panic level, but it's a decided shift, right? You see it on chart. Unemployment is starting to climb. Now, there is some troubling signs underneath the surface in the unemployment data. For instance, everybody keeps talking about a strong job market. The part of the unemployment data that's concerning us the most is continuous claims. Continuous. So people that are unemployed that are looking for work, right? That number is increasing pretty quick. That, that's, that's, that's going up fairly aggressively. Again, I wouldn't say it's red. I wouldn't say it's like a flashing red light at this point, but I'd say it's stale yellow, right? You're seeing things happen in continuous unemployment claims that have never happened outside of a recession before. The other thing that you're sitting there watching is temporary work is pulling back pretty at a brisk pace, right? And and I highlight those two things because those are two things that you do not see, right? There's a crack in the narrative. Everybody's, well, the job market's so, it's just not, right? Unemployment rate is so low, but when continuous claims and temp jobs are falling the way that they are, continuous claims are rising the way they are, and temp jobs are falling the way that they are, that's just not something that happens in a super tight labor market. Again, we're not at disaster level. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. And I'll continue saying this. I don't think this is the beginning of a great depression. Okay, I'm just saying that the narrative you see out there on the street and you're hearing in the media, and I'm not all knowing guys, I'm not omniscient, but, but I will just tell you this. It is the only way you can have these earnings forecasts is if you think you, you got to understand the way it works in the world of finance, people in the world of finance, for whatever reason, the majority of them still believe in efficient market theory. Okay. And that is that the market all the time is showing you what the real valuation is based on all known information out there, that the market is a perfect mirror for all known data and all known facts. Now we know that's insane. Okay. And a perfect example of this, if that was the case, explain to me why the market was up 13% in the month of January in 2020, heading right into COVID, completely ignoring the shutdown of Chinese factories completely ignoring all the threats, right? If the market was so all-knowing and omniscient, where was it on that one? If the market was so all-knowing and so omniscient, why in the world did, did, did it walk right into the interest rate increases last year and get smacked, right? I mean, I, we could just sit here all day long and throw example after example after example. Why, if the market was so omniscient, was it rallying in the summer of 2008? Okay, it's a ridiculous statement. And, I, and it, whenever I hear anybody even mention the word efficient market, I literally immediately turn them out or walk away because I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time. This is ridiculous. The other thing, too, is if, if the market was truly efficient all the time, there would be no alpha. There would be no outperformance, right? Because all everything's baked in. It's just not the case. It's a ridiculous thing. But that's what a lot of people still believe. And so 
they're, and you need to understand this. This is so important. The stock market goes up and they go, oh, the market knows something. Things are going to be better, right? Markets go up for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. I'd say least seldom, well, not least seldom, but a market going up and a market bouncing, especially in a bear market, which, you know, people sit there and argue about all these other kind of things. I, I think they're like, we're out of a bear market. And I'm like, well, adjust the market for inflation. I mean, I still very much think you are. And quite honestly, until this market goes, until this market breaks out above the previous all-time highs and can hang there for a month, you know, if it did that, then I'd sit there and go, okay, I, I, can't, I can't really, I, I can't make that argument anymore. Now, if that happens, we'll see. And, I, and I'll change my tune. But I, it, just, it just is what it is. Um, other thing we got out, retail sales. Retail sales missed. And I, I wouldn't say they were abysmal. But when you look underneath the hood of the numbers, they were very consistent with recessions. Okay? And you're seeing, I mean, it's just the people talking about soft landing Again, I, I, we've tried to understand it. I just think they're staring at the stock market. When you look at the data, unbiasedly, Remy and I talk about this in the, in, in, he and I have never spoken before. And we talk about it in the interview toward the end as well. Just, you can't wrap your head around it. I can't see any data other than market prices that suggest things are going to be good next year. Just can't see it. The, the other part of it that's really funny, Chase and I were talking about it this morning, a lot of them sit there and say, or, or consensus is 11% earnings growth in the market next year and 2.3% inflation. Go fly a kite. The only way in the world you're going to hit 11% growth rate on earnings per share next year is via inflation. And I, I, I just, and you'll have to take my word for it. I mean, we've sat there and run the math back and forth one way or the other. I, I just can't get there. And all the macro data is confirming what we're talking about. The macro data is not saying soft landing. And again, it's not, re- not all of it is recessionary, but it's all pointed that way. Several data points are recessionary. And this is where risk management's at a premium, guys. And I think active management's going to be the way forward. Am I biased? Yeah, that's what I do for a living. But I think you're going to need to be able to dodge the oncoming trains and then know when to get back in and grab some good value when it presents itself. And I I just don't see, I don't see any way around it. I also think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be deep like all the perma bears and all depressions coming and all that kind of stuff. But like I've said before, I mean, you keep looking at the data. I just, I think it could be more prolonged, more protracted than a lot of people think. And Again, I just think uh, I think it all comes down to risk management, risk management, knowing what's in your portfolio. What are the valuations? What are the outlooks in recession? How are bonds attractive? All of these different things. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at so many of these interest rate sensitive things throwing off fat dividends. And, the, and because they're interest rate sensitive, as we go into recession and the Fed cuts rates, that's just going to push them up. We, we've got a we own a senior living company today. They're based on rates pulling back a little bit. They got re-rated. They're up 15% just on the day. There's good stuff out there. Anyway, got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stick with us through the break. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. We're with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, you talk about how you actively manage portfolios. How does active management help people with risk management? Because market conditions are constantly changing. Those advisors who put you in a portfolio and simply tell you to just ride the waves may not be equipped to handle the level of volatility we're seeing daily. And it's that constant changing volatility that can put retirement portfolios at a larger risk for loss. Risk management is our number one focus at Bulwark Capital, and our strongest leverage against loss is actively managing every portfolio, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Find out about how Bulwark Capital actively manages risk. Call them now and you'll get a free copy of Zach's Common Sense Investing Guide, 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. Or you can 
can go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Okay, I want to I f- <clears throat> finish that thought uh, that I was talking about that senior living facility. I'm not going to give you a name because I can't give recommendations and you, know, you guys know the drill. But um, what I'm saying is, you know, I told you about that, the mortgage-backed or the, the REIT that owns the mortgage-backed securities that we were talking about that's paying a 20% dividend. Talking about this senior living facility that's got debt on their balance sheets and a significant amount of debt. And the company's just been obliterated because of, right, all of that debt, looking at rates, you know, having to refinance it at higher rates. Um, and as rates pull back, right, rates pull back a little bit in the last two days, it caused their debt to be a little bit re-rated, stocks up 15%. There are fat pitches out there. There are beautiful investment opportunities out there. They're just not where you're looking. They're just not. Now is the time to be managing risk and looking at cash flows, looking at things that actually matter, right? Things that you want to own over the next, you know, at least a few years or things like that, things that are attractive on an investment basis. But what's happening right now is everybody's chasing their favorite Pokemon card. I, and that's what it is. When you're buying these companies that are growing revenue at 15 to 20% a year and trading at 40, 30, 25 times revenue, it's just madness. Nobody's done the work. And this is where I want to get into what, why valuation matters. What are the things I'm concerned about? So I had a, I had a back and forth on Twitter last night and respectful. It, it wasn't contentious at all. Um, I try not to get contentious on social media. I have very rarely. Uh, and usually me contentious is being like, this is nonsense. And, you know, just, just leaving. I'm not going to be a... I have zero desire to enter the social media food fight, right? Um, but I had a conversation where I posted something and I said, uh, you know, I haven't owned Microsoft for a while uh, based on the price move and I should hold on to it longer. Um, but we were looking at it the other day and I was looking at its price to earnings ratio, which is a pressing 40, which is, mind numbing for a company. We're talking about the largest company in the S and P 500. Okay. Approaching a $3 trillion valuation trading at nearly 40 times earnings. Now I think people have been anesthetized to 40 times earnings because they are so used to looking at sky high multiples, but with Microsoft, you don't really see it in the earnings as absurd as that is for a company that size. I don't really think that illustrates it. Well, I think to me, the more shocking number is 15 times revenue. That's what my, the largest company in the S&P 500 approaching a $3 trillion market cap is trading at 15 times revenue. Okay. So what does that mean? Okay. Now I want to walk you through some analysis that we do when we're looking at stocks to really convey this point. All right. So Microsoft, incredible growth story, incredible company. Here's the other thing I want you to realize. I'm not bad. Look, you sit there and try to make the argument, Microsoft there, Mike, you know, Facebook and Google. Look, look they're, they, they've reached the valuation they have because they're unbelievable companies. They're, I, I have nothing negative to say about them. I don't like some of their politics, but in terms of being cash generation machines, they're some of the greatest cash generation machines of all time. They are the greatest cash generation machines of all time. Okay, so there's no knock on the company. But again, this is why I was saying in the market update, Buffett's old words about the number one definer of the success of an investment is what you pay. If you buy the best asset in the world and you pay too much for it, it's going to be a lousy investment, right? So, how do we look at that? And I, and I think I have any, now granted, I also want you to know that this does not mean that Microsoft is going to collapse imminently. That's one of the toughest things about getting into bubbles. It is impossible to know when sobriety hits, right? It's impossible to know. In that way, it's sort of like an addict. If you've ever been around an addict, 
right? You hope and you want them to get clean. You just don't know what's going to be that prompt. You know, you don't know what's going to be that rock bottom moment that finally catches their attention. And I think it's kind of similar in financial markets. You, you, and, and I'll just tell you right now, rather than trying to play that and juggle those fiery balls, the, the lesson I've learned is just stay away. There, there, there's other opportunities, right? Buy things that make sense. So what does it mean then? If we're, if, if we're trading at 15 times revenue. Well, if you look at Microsoft's market cap, okay, it's right around $2.7, $2.8 trillion. I mean, say that out loud. A company's valuation is two. We're not talking about the GDP of a third world country. Right? We're not talking about the GDP or total economic output of Zambia. We're talking about a single U.S. company trading at nearly $3 trillion in market capitalization. It's, 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 it's eye-water. Now, that in and of itself does not mean it's overvalued or ridiculous. It, a company could be valued that and be worth every bit of it. But here's how we'll look at Microsoft. So if we look at their earnings, okay, so after everything's all said and done, how much a year do they make? And over the past 12 months, Microsoft's cranked out $77 billion in profit. I, unbelievable, right? Even their profit is bigger than some countries' economic output. It's astounding. Okay, but remember, I've said before, investing is all about context. So here's how we like to look at it. And again, this comes straight from Buffett and Charlie Munger, his long-term partner. What I want to look at, and when I'm buying a stock, I don't like to think of it as buying a stock. I look at it as buying a company. Okay, so if I want to buy shares in Microsoft right now, let's just let's just go through the exercise with me. We're not going to buy shares in Microsoft. We're going to buy the whole thing. Okay? So we pay 2.7 trillion dollars for it, 2.8 trillion dollars for it. And it's doing 77 billion in revenue or in in profit. Okay, will you do the math on that? Puts you at about 2.3% return. So if we cobble all of our money together, and I'd, that would be assuming that this radio show is a lot larger than it is. But let's just say we've got the le- wealthiest, uh, uh, wealthiest listening audience in the world, and we decide we want to put our money together and buy Microsoft. So we step up and we write a $2.8 trillion check. Our return on that, based on their current run rate, is $77 billion a year or a 2.3% return on our money. Does that sound that great to you? Now, remember, with Microsoft, it's a great company, but there's still economic risk, right? There's geopolitical risk, right? I mean, Microsoft's getting to the point where you got to think about it. If you're a developing economy, do you want to let and look, a lot of them are. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm just saying, let's think of China, for instance. Do you think China wants to export all of that money via its economy to Microsoft shareholders? Or are they going to put some restrictions on Microsoft, maybe even potentially not allow Microsoft to operate in the country like they don't with several other tech companies in the U.S.? Right? No, there's, there's that potential of geopolitical risk. What about recessions? When you're paying 15 times revenue for a company, they better not hit a glitch in the road, baby, because if they do, it could be problems. What about a failed product launch? Here's the other one I'll tell you right now about Microsoft. The reason Microsoft has soared to this level is AI. How are they monetizing that AI? What does AI need to do to move the needle on an already $3 trillion company? And I think AI is going to be powerful, but it's not going to produce those financial results in the next two years. Right? Here's the other problem. What is one of the biggest things that has gotten Microsoft? Now, this is another important thing to think about. The reason Microsoft's P.E. ratio does not look absurd, especially when you put it next to its sales, is because of those profit numbers. But a disproportionate number of those profits are coming from cloud or Azure, as they refer to it in their business. And, And I think that's one of the biggest 
eventually. Again, I, I don't know the timeline. I would think it would probably happen in the next recession. But the cloud computing thing is one of the things that I really have a hard time with in terms of the valuation of tech companies, not because I don't think cloud computing is valuable. It is. It's awesome. But how do you facilitate cloud computing? You build out server farms. Because that's basically what it is, right? You're just outsourcing. Uh, you're, 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 you're outsourcing processing and thinking and computations to a third party, right? Well, think about that. You know, they're up against Amazon, AWS. Who else is big in cloud computing? Uh, the biggest player, I think the biggest players are, like Google's in there to some degree. Yeah, Google's in there. Uh, but I think the three biggest players are Amazon, Google, and and um, uh, and Microsoft. In terms of you know the big the big big players, and there's several other niche players and you know all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> cloud computing in itself isn't highly valuable. It, it's going to be commoditized. Now there are going to be firms that come in and do really cool things and proprietary things with that cloud computing data and they you know they come up with different twists on it but at the end of the day you got to spend the money to make the the server farms and then you charge people to use those server farms right you're outsourcing that computer power to them or they're outsourcing it to you now at some point the growth rate it's already happened it's already started to happen the growth rate of cloud starts slowing down at some point like any other business when that growth rate slows down to a trickle, starts reflecting more like GDP, right? Just, you know, goes from being 25% a year down to 15, down to 12, right? Because people don't keep converting every year to cloud computing, right? There's At some point, it's going to mimic the, the growth rate of the underlying economy that it's in. And at that point, I think you need to think about server farms sort of like a factory, right? Meaning, you can charge whatever you want at the factory as long as you're the only factory and as long as there's a big lineup to get people in there. But what happens when they build a couple other factories and the lines are gone now, right? Just like with a factory, you want to keep it running, right? You want to keep it processing. It costs money to shut it down. It costs money to downscale it. You want to keep pushing as much as you can through it. So how do you do that? You do it by cutting cost. And this is why I've said eventually cloud, and, I, and I've talked to several smart tech people. Again, I don't know exactly. It's probably a little ways out. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. But you're already seeing that growth rate fall, which is the beginning of declining profits. Right? When, you, when you're looking at a sector that's growing 40, 50, 60% a year, you can basically charge whatever you want because the demand is so high. But at a certain point, that stops. Here's the other thing. What happens in a recession? When, when companies are a little pushed, that's when they sit there and they call them up on the phone and go, hey, Microsoft, you got to cut us a deal here because we can switch right now. We just talked to AWS. We can switch over. They can save us 10%. That's going to help us hit our numbers, which is really important to us because our core business is down 15. It's recessionary times. Work with us. Right? So everybody talks about the boom that is AI, and I'm just telling you it's further out than they're saying it is. And they also forget the delicate nature that it, or, or the non-permanent profit margins. I think they kind of see it like software. And it's not. It's infrastructure. Right? Instead of me having to go out and buy a server for Bulwark, I can just outsource to them. It's infrastructure. We're renting it effectively, right? So when you look at Microsoft trading at 15 times revenue at a 2.3% earnings yield, when you can buy a zero risk U.S. treasury paying 5.1, it's just, it's a tough one to wrap your head around. Because like I said, what, what are the threats to that 5.1% we're getting on the two-year treasury? There aren't any. Just holding it for the next two years, regardless of how high interest rates go, you're going to get 100% of your money back. Right? And that's not the way it's supposed to go. Right? We buy safe assets like treasuries with the full understanding that we're not going to make as much. 
right? We're, we're going to give up that upside for the security and the certainty of it. Well, this has gotten so out of control now that you're looking at companies like Microsoft that are basically throwing you off like, you know, 40% of the earnings yield you can earn owning a risk-free asset like a two-year treasury. It's cattywampus. It's backwards. All right, if the two-year treasury is yielding five, I would expect the earnings yield. And look, it's a great company. So you give it some wiggle room here. But I mean, for me to look at Microsoft and think it's attractive, I got to see six and a half to seven. I, it just doesn't pencil. And and for it to pencil, and a guy, I was, talking, I was doing this back and forth with a guy on the, on the internet yesterday. And he goes, well, that's not a bad deal. How fast is Microsoft going? And I go about 12% a year. And he goes, well, they're going to double their revenue in six years. I don't think that's that big a deal. Okay, so let's say. Let's say they just continue on with this growth rate. They keep motoring around. That They're the first company in the history of the world where the large number, you know, the large number issue doesn't impact them. And they just keep growing into perpetuity. Where does that put us? Carry that out. So, that, so let's say he's right. Still puts you at eight times revenue. A 4% earnings yield. You're still not back to where you, you, you can buy a 10-year treasury paying in excess of that. You can lock it in for the next 10 years. Now, am I guaranteeing you that Microsoft doesn't beat the 10? No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if you make decisions like this investing where you're picking these things that are higher risk and lower return, you getting smashed is an eventuality. Right, you're literally sitting on the tracks waiting for the train because it will happen. Why? Because that's an irrational investment decision. Yes, I want all the risk of geopolitical, uh, all the geopolitical tension of the world. I want economic risk. I want single company risk. I want to take on antitrust risk, which at some point is going to be an issue for companies like Microsoft. I want to take on all that risk, and I'm willing to do it at about a third of the return that I can get on a risk-free treasury. And again, is this math I'm doing correct? Yeah, it's, it's dead solid perfect. Does it guarantee that Microsoft's about to collapse tomorrow? Absolutely not. But like I said, investing isn't about picking a bottom and picking a top. It's about using the information that we have, making the wisest long-term decisions that we can, knowing that not all of them will be right. But if we stick to that discipline, if we stick, if we avoid the madness of crowds, if we block it out from our conscience and we stick to our guns, we stick to our knitting, what it does, again, getting back to risk management, what it does is it tells us that we're going to minimize those mistakes. And right, what have we said over and over that I've talked to you guys about mathematics don't tell me how much you made. It's like the classic guy. I was up 110% last year. Well, yeah, but you were down 80 last year. You're still massively in the hole. You got to get four more 100% gains to get, to get back to even. Don't tell me what you made. Tell me what you lost. If you're down 80 and you make 100%, congratulations, you're still 60% underwater. Now, get that. If you lose 80%, your 100 bucks went to 20. Next year, you make 100% gain. You got 40 bucks. You started with 100. What are you bragging about it for? Risk management. And this is the core of it. People go, well, Zach, you don't understand the new tech. Go tell that to Buffett. I think he's got a pretty good track record. The other thing is, remind you, what are we buying when we invest in a company? We're, we're buying the company. Just think about it like that. Would you be running down the street right now to buy Microsoft to get a 2.1%, 2.3% return on your money when you got 3.3% inflation, you can get 5.1% from a trade? Of course you wouldn't. Well, I think it's going to grow. It better. If it doubles from here, you still got an earnings yield lower than the two-year treasury. Lower than the five-year, lower than the 10-year, lower than the 30-year. And not only to mention, how do you know people like, how do you know there's a bubble? When I see risk-free rates at more than double the earnings yield of some of the most popular companies, that's a pretty good indication. Pretty good indication. And maybe you want to keep riding these things. If you do, that's fine. And you could, maybe you outperform me. 
Maybe you end up being right on Microsoft. Problem is you do it enough times, you're going to get killed because it doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, investing is not about speculating on where's this thing going to, hey, you know, look at it. Look at that. Anything can drive a stock up and down. Emotions, fake headlines. I mean, what, if it, what are we really doing when we're investing? We're trying to buy discounted cash flows. Why did we buy that that REIT that owns mortgage-backed securities? Because we think it's so sexy and we think it could go triple in the next 12, 12 months? No. We did it because the fact that those mortgages were inside of a REIT means that they sell, they sold it off brutally and drove it way lower than its intrinsic value And basically what we were doing is buying mortgage-backed securities that were yielding 20%. Now, when I can buy AAA-rated paper yielding 20% that is backed by the equity in somebody's home, I I can't guarantee it's going to be a winner. But that sounds like a pretty good bet, right? Boy, that company's got to take a beating. I mean... Think of the things that have to go bad from here for that 20% dividend not to compensate us for it. Right? Flip around, look at the uranium. My whole point to you is people are chasing this stuff and they're going to come up with a narrative about why it's it's right. They're going to come up with a narrative about why it's smart. Why? Because they bought it. And they're not going to tell you, look, I'm a schmuck. I bought it because I'm a schmuck. They're not going to say that. They're not going to tell you they overpaid. They're going to, well, people are underestimating artificial intelligence. You know what? Here's, you want to know how you avoid, and listen, by doing it this way, you will miss some rides. Okay. You will. There will be times where we do these calculations and they don't play out that way. Tesla is a perfect example. You guys heard me beat up on Tesla for years. Their valuation never did make any sense. It still doesn't. It still went way up. I'm just saying, if you do this consistently, if you chase and don't pay attention to fundamentals, you will get brutalized because at the end of the day, that's all we're doing. We're trying to buy cash flows and businesses at discounted prices. That's the name of the game. That's what investing is. When you're sitting there, well, I think you can run to 600. That's speculation. Just be honest with yourself. You're speculating. You're not investing. Because if you're investing and you're looking at the earnings yield on Microsoft in this rate environment, would this be as obscene if we were still 0% interest rates? No. I mean, I still wouldn't pay 15 times for a mega cap like that. That's nuts. Go back and study what happened in 2000, the tech bubble. You got a guy named Scott McNeely that ran Sun Microsystems, which ended up losing, what, 85, 90% of its value before it got bought out, I think, something like that. And he said, look, people were buying our stuff. Now, he was talking about 10 times revenue. And he goes, I don't think people understand how expensive that is. Because they were asking him, do you feel bad? And he goes, no, I don't feel bad we, we, that, that the stock crashed. He goes, I'm, I'm bummed people lost money. But he goes, I wasn't the one telling them to go in there and buy the stock at 10 times revenue. I mean, I mean, think about it. it it'd be like, let, let's call it let's call it a, a, a let, let, let's call it a condominium complex or like I've you said the analogy I've used in the past is a corner store. How much do you in revenue? Uh, Ten million dollars a year. Okay, how much do you want for the store? One hundred and fifty million. Whoa, boy, that's steep. Yeah, but we're growing at twelve percent a year. Okay, well, how much profit do you make? It's about a two percent profit yield. So if you pay the one hundred and fifty million, that one hundred and fifty million will return you. 2 million bucks or no 2% off that hundred million. So would that be, that'd be two, 3 million. And you're sitting there going, and if we were making that decision, we'd be looking at each other going, you know what, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run down here. I'm going to go park my cash into this 5.1% yielding two year treasury. And I'm going to wait for this thing to come down in price, but we put it on a stock and we all go run it guys. It's not the time. Now is the time to manage risk. And I am sitting here also telling you, I think it's probably more than likely that markets rip into the end of the year. Okay. This is a, this is called exit liquidity. Okay. Run the numbers yourself. Go look. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. 
the soft landing, we've done all this excess and now it's coming to a close and there's not going to be a bill to pay. Does that really resonate with you? Is that the way it works? Come on. You know what's going on. You see it coming. I hear that train coming, right? It's it's coming. But you don't have to get burned by it. There's a different way. There's a better way. And you can actually do it without giving up upside. It's called risk management, guys. And like I said, the other sad thing about people chasing all this stuff is there's a bunch of stuff out there that's got ridiculous value that's already been lit up by that's actually reflecting interest rates. Great stuff, great companies. There's like you got to dig, you got to look. You're not going to hear about it on CNBC or Jim Cramer, but it's there. There's a better way. We can lower your fees, actively manage and hedge against catastrophic loss. Actual money management, we can do it cheaper, we can do it better, we can lower your risk, increase your upside. We do it every day, guys. Like I've said so many times, man, whether you go through us or somebody else, just, well, I'm not taking those kind of risks, Zach, I'm not buying Microsoft, I just read the ETFs. Great, you're loaded up on Microsoft. 40% of your holdings are those companies. It's not the S&P 500, it's an ETF. It's the S&P 7. Wake up, guys. Especially the closer you are to retirement. There's a better way. Give us a call. 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Do not forget to listen to the interview we've got with Remy Tito. Great guy. You won't want to miss it. Have a great weekend. Going out to my buddy's high school game tonight. He's head coach, Enumclaw High School. Go Claw. I'm giving the pregame speech, so wish me luck. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.